I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Newsom recall vote. Dr. Angelina Farella, a pediatrician in Texas, joins me and truth about America at my summit. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday, we talked about the California, state of California having their recall vote, and they did indeed hold it, announced an overwhelming winner. At the end of the day, Governor Newsom defeated the recall effort. I believe this percentage was something like 67 to 34 percent, so uh, viewed as not even close. So the voters, it appears, in California voted down the recall of Governor Newsom. And essentially, it began to be looked at as, as a comparison between Governor Newsom, the incumbent Democrat, and the top um, polling, at least, uh, challenger, which was a fabulous conservative talk show host named Larry Elder. I want to make a couple points about this and about the election in general and what it means to America moving forward. Number one, when voters left the polling booth and they do those exit polls, which are not scientific, but they stop people and say, hey, and they're asking the question, what's the number one issue that, that drove your vote today that determined uh, whether you voted yes or no on recall? Before I tell you their answer, I will tell you the issues that got people very concerned about and willing to work hard to do this recall, uh, to try to recall Governor Newsom. They included things like this massive exploding homeless camps all over the state, uh, state policies that encourage homeless, incur homelessness, encourage intrusion, ra rising taxes, uh, rising crime, especially in the large cities, uh, compounded with defunding police so you have fewer police to respond to the rising crime. You know, San Francisco has become just a, in that formerly beautiful city, San Francisco has just become a pit to live in. And so so you had homelessness, you had the uh, question of uh, lack of border control, you had California welcoming illegals, creating sanctuary cities. So you had a variety of issues that were kind of, um, you know, serious issues completely unrelated to COVID. Uh, you also have people very concerned about election integrity in California, just kind of this free-for-all voting, barely even having, in fact, in many cases, no voter ID required at all. So many, many issues were propelling people to challenge Governor Newsom. And for conservatives, among the things that drove this effort to get the recall ballot on the recall vote on the ballot was COVID policy. It was a sense that there was too much, um, you know, to use a conservative word, tyrannical control by the governor, too much power being used, uh, mass mandates, uh, closing down businesses, mass mandates in schools, um, just, just keeping the state in a state of uh, lockdown uh, over COVID. And that drove many of the people who are just freedom lovers to say, you know, you really don't have the right to uh, control our life and liberty to this degree because of COVID. It's not that much of an emergency. So back to the exit polling, the number one issue given by people and the answer when they said, you know, why, why um, did you, what drove your vote? The answer was COVID, COVID policy. Now it's interesting because conservatives might've given that answer, COVID policy, by that they mean, I don't want to have a governor who keeps on tyrannically controlling my life. I don't want to be told 
about a vaccine mandate. I don't want to be told on a mask mandate. I am a free American citizen. I want to vote. Uh, I want to live and make my own choices based on my own uh, information. And you may have leftists who said, voted, uh, gave COVID as their answer. By that they meant they want a government to control. They're fearful of COVID and they are going to try. Uh, they want a governor who will just try to, keep, uh, they believe, stop the spread by all of these measures that are including vaccine mandates and, um, and mask mandates. So that was a big issue. Uh, one of the big Democrat pollsters took away from this is that the Democrats are running in 2022 ought to view COVID my word, tyranny, COVID regulation, COVID control, ma mandated vaccines, mandated masks. They, this leftist is saying, this leftist pundit is saying, Democrats ought to view that as a, as a winning issue for them. The Democrats ought to run on this, stop running away from all the accusations of tyranny and just run on the issue. Yeah, you know, well, America loves to be tyrannized. America loves to be controlled. They love mandates. They don't want to have to think for themselves that they want to be told by us how to be safe, when you can leave your house, whether your business can be open, whether you have to wear a mask, and whether you have to get a vaccine. This emboldened the pro-vax mandate people, this polling outcome. Additional to that, I want to make a commentary about how, you know, the polling changed in, uh, in California. And I sent Matt, the very wonderful producer, a just one slide that's showing polling data. And I want to ask him to put that up and just tell you what you're looking at. So this, it, this uh, data is showing you essentially polls over a period of time uh, beginning on July 14th up until September 14th, which was yesterday, which was the day of the vote. You see in the middle period, in middle August, from August 3rd to 24th, the numbers are very close. The blue line is showing people going to vote um, no, meaning they don't want to have Newsom removed. So vote no means keep Newsom and vote in the red line at the bottom meant yes to vote uh, to remove him. So you see in the middle of August, there were actually uh, very, very close polling numbers and they began to be headlines. I want to just tell you a couple of them because polling numbers that came out from several places actually reflect what you're looking at right here. We had a um, one poll, which was in... Um, I find the right page was a UC Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies showed a poll on July 27th. Basically, voters evenly split in California. This was a shock poll because this is a Berkeley poll, a shock poll of the Democrats. They always figured California is a Democrat safe haven and Newsom was safe. But in July, they're finding out, eh, not really. The, the voters are pretty close, 50-50. Uh, and also, you had a Survey USA vote uh, poll. Uh, that was actually a few days later finding that 51% of California and said they were going to vote to fire Newsom to get rid of him. So polls started showing that the people were getting on board with the idea of removing Newsom. And so then the Democrats kicked in high gear. They have uh, President uh, Obama come out there, and, and or at least he did a TV ad. I mean, he went there, too. You had Kamala Harris. You had President Biden going out there. People going out there trying to stir up the Democrat vote. And what I want to tell you, and so I think that the Democrats responded, and I don't know if the pro-Larry Elder people or the pro-remove Newsom people had the money or the organization to push back. I mean, the whole Democrat side is right behind Newsom, all of us there to push him. And then you have the Republican side, you have numerous people running a, a, a large cadre of, of candidates. I don't know if there was a focus and a well-funded effort to respond to some of the things uh, that the Democrats were doing. They went very ugly against Larry Elder. Um, and, you know, he's, I, I think he's fabulous and, and actually really smart and all that. But, you know, the campaign didn't seem to push back as strongly as people might have hoped. So, 
I will say, you know, people look at California. I've talked about California many times. You might, you may know. I mentioned it in the show many times. My husband and I lived there for years. We go there a lot. Or, you know, we had our kids in those years. So we, you know, we love California. Well, we love the beaches. We love the mountains. We love the hiking. We love, we love the, you know, the weather. But the state has gone radically left. I have great friends in California conservatives who say, you know, actually, the state is not that far left. It really isn't. But you know, where we got, we uh, can't muster enough core uh, conservative Republican vote to win anything to get ourselves back uh, on our feet. So great hope had been put behind uh, Larry Elder. Uh, and I'll tell you the other thing, I made the point yesterday, I'm going to make it again today, about election fraud. When you have such widespread distrust in the election system as exists in our country right now, you have the 2020 elections, which many people still felt like we never really got the answer. We don't know whether uh, there was fraud sufficient to change the outcome. We know there was massive fraud. We have, and we also in California, the voting laws, the election laws are permissive. They actually permit, if not mandate, local, the local uh, election jurisdictions to allow methods which are simply the, if you sat down with your dream team and said, how can we concoct election fraud? What can we put in place that allows us to control elections? You know, what are the best vehicles for election fraud? Every single one of the answers you'd get are the law in California. So we have many people don't trust the election outcome. Uh, I'm, not say, I'm not trying to say that I think that Larry Elder won. I'm not trying to say that the Recall Newsom people won. I am saying, I don't think, I don't believe 67% of Californians who turned out, I don't believe that, that number is crazy. I do want to just plant one last little seed before I go to our guest um, related to the California election. You may recall last fall when we had a guest on my show named Russ Ramsland, and he, here in Texas, was part of orchestrating an effort to look at the question of whether or not there's electronic manipulation of voting tabulation software, essentially ha hacking into voting machines to change votes. One bit of evidence, he, when he, one day on my show, he actually laid out a, a great deal of data and one data point he had related to the election in Kentucky that occurred, I think, in 2019. Uh, and in that election, he had a little clip that showed that a CNN report, live report that night, report, on election night, reporting voting uh, totals, on CNN live camera had a total for, and I've even forgotten the, the people's names uh, who were running for um, governor in Kentucky, but the, the, uh, the Democrat won the race. But during this evening of reporting, CNN's numbers are on the screen and they had numbers. They're showing rolling totals and then, and then you know, calculating the percentage of votes uh, that represents uh, as they went along. And they had, a, they had a point at the time when the vote total for the guy, I think the, the guy who won was Bevin. That was the Democrat. And I've forgotten the Republican's name who was running. But in any case, you had on live screen, you had a Democrat, uh, you had the votes for the Republican. All of a sudden, Whatever the number was, a huge number, 200,000 votes just went away. Just, just went away, couldn't find them. And so this was, a, uh, this was one indicia of that something was wrong here. The vote tallies being reported live onto television. Somehow the Republican just lost 200,000 votes. Well, they had a similar thing in California. Again, I am not saying that Newsom uh, was voted, that there was a vote to recall him. I am saying the ongoing distrust of electronic uh, election, uh, the ability to manipulate uh, voter tabulation software, the ongoing concern about vote hacking will continue. I'm going to show you. I sent to Matt the Wonderful, and I, I hope he got, was able to get a hold of it. There was a, yeah, okay, there was a little clip. I'm going to show you what happened in California last night with the Newsom uh, recall vote. 
million votes, 2.3 million votes as of right now. Now, there's still 48% of the vote to come in, John King, but as of right now, if I were Governor Newsom, I would be feeling... 2.25. Uh, would be thinking, number one, you're going to complete your term. And number two, Governor Newsom made this campaign in the end about Larry Elder, but also about the comparison, California versus, say, Florida and Texas on COVID. If your Keep Newsom number stays anywhere close to that, other governors are going to that Where do they go? California to continue those policies, which will be a national debate heading into the 2020. Okay, 400,000 votes just disappeared. We can cut that off there. You see what they're saying on live television, 2.2, uh, whatever the numbers were, 2.25 million votes. And then they flash some other headline and they come back. And there are, I think that finally calculated out to be, someone ran the number for me, 350,000 votes just disappeared. Um, yeah. And yeah, 350,000 votes just disappeared. Now, I know CNN responded to the Kentucky situation in 2019 and said, well, yeah, you know, sometimes we get these glitchy numbers from the computers, you know, they blah, blah, blah. They didn't really have an answer. I don't know what happened in California. I can, I can completely believe that Newsom prevailed and was not, there was not a recall, a vote to recall him. However, having said that, the ongoing issue in America is that millions of actually well-informed, well-educated, non-conspiracy theorists, serious thinkers are very, very concerned about election integrity in this country. I don't, and, and, I, and I don't actually think that they necessarily are all going to buy into, yeah, I think 67% of the uh, vote in California went to keep Newsom. But the, I'll close out this first five by making this point because it's a perfect segue to our next guest. In California, um, as I started out by saying this, started this first five. In California, you have leftist pundits recognizing that the single issue driving voters' recall decision was COVID. You have a massive left-wing mindset in the governor in California of pushing mask mandates, pushing vaccine mandates, pushing shutdowns, believing that COVID justifies an enormous exercise of power, of limitation, the personal freedom of American citizens, COVID justifies that. And that's what Newsom thinks. And the Democrat takeaway from the California vote may just be next year that you want to keep Americans in a state of perpetual fear, perpetual fear of COVID, perpetual fear of other people who maybe, uh, who maybe aren't vaccinated, perpetual fear of the next mutation, the next iteration, because fear Sadly, as the Democrats have learned, fear justifies in the minds of some people to surrender their liberty, surrender their freedom, let government control you more because we're so afraid. So I would say among the number one jobs of conservatives in America is to continue spreading accurate information about COVID, about the impact of the disease, the survivability rate, uh, the harm flowing from the vaccines, the lack of efficacy for people wearing masks, all of the facts that conservatives know, conservatives will be aided enormously in the 2022 elections by having more people understand the facts about COVID because then the fear mongers will not be so successful as they were apparently in California in convincing people to be afraid, vote for us, be afraid of COVID, so vote for us and we'll keep everything shut down. That seems to be the takeaway message. I think the conservatives can have a better answer and they need to be on the job every day spreading truth about COVID and the vaccines, the masks, the mandates, and ultimately the disease itself. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. 
I mentioned this on our show, we have a guest joining us. She's a, a, a Texas doctor, Dr. Angelina Farella. Um, and I want to tell you, I, um, she's part of this group that we've had other people on the show, uh, the Amer- uh, America Frontline, America's Frontline Doctors Group. Uh, they are started by a woman who's now become a friend of mine, Simone Gold. Um, and she's just a, been a, a brave warrior bringing up information and facts true medical facts uh, related to COVID and exposing some of the things that seem to be uh, pressure coming out of Washington and other places to uh, take steps that aren't either aren't necessary or the suppression of information about effective treatments of COVID. So we have a, a guest joining us and she the reason I really want to talk to her today is she's a pediatrician. I want to focus in on one aspect of the entire COVID issue and the vaccines and the mask, which is what is the right and, and uh, informed thing to do and the informed policies to have to deal with COVID as it comes to children. So I'd like to welcome to our show, Dr. Angelina Farella. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to see you. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much. So I want to just very quickly, so I just established your, I know I, I will actually, I had to tell our listeners, I should have told before, she's uh, board certified uh, pediatrician, Dr. Angelina Farella, um, areas of expertise, numerous areas of expertise. Um, she has a, a a practice in, um, she's a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Medical Association. She has a practice in Texas, uh, which I love the name of, and I did, I thought I, it's, it's like, okay, what's the name of your practice? It's a really fun name. A Brighter Tomorrow Pediatrics. Yes, A Brighter Tomorrow Pediatrics. I have this somewhere in this pile of papers here, but anyway, I love the name. I think that's great. And you, so how long have you been a pediatrician? I've been a pediatrician for 25 years, and I've had my own solo independent pediatric practice for the last 17 years. I love, I think that's, you know, it's fine. I'm a lawyer by background. I have lawyer friends who go right out of law school and establish their own practice. I think that's a, that's a, it's a step, a sign of confidence. I love that. Okay. So I want to talk though about children and COVID. We've heard recently, Dr. Fauci was out again recently, um, just essentially talking about the idea um, that he says um, we could have younger children authorized for getting the COVID vaccines. And one report I read said by the end of September. So given what you know about your practice, uh, the, the observation about COVID patterns in children, do we, should we be mandating or even creating a vaccine for COVID for children? Um, well, first, let me just correct you on like one small little oh, tip. Please do. Okay. Um, Yes, I am board certified, um, but I am not board certified uh, through the American Board of Pediatrics. And and I have rescinded my memberships in the American Academy of Pediatrics, and I never was a member of the American Medical Association. So just so that you know, um, those organizations um, do not represent a lot of independent physicians. They do not represent the majority of physicians in the country, um, much to um, a lot of people's thought processes, oh, these large organizations actually actually represent the vast majority of, of physicians, and that's not necessarily a true statement. The American Academy of Pediatrics has come out with very controversial um, statements lately that I have never adhered to. I mean, in 2008, when I rescinded my membership, it was because they were really overstepping their bounds and asking us doctors to really violate the the civil rights of patients and their families. And so I uh, took a stand at that time and and withdrew my membership then. So just so that you know, I just wanted to point that out. Um, so for children that are, right now I saw something on TV this morning about the ages five and up. 
of that would potentially be uh, mandated or, you know, allowed to get this COVID vaccine. One of the issues that I have is that no time in our history have we ever allowed a child to get an investigational injection without at least three to five years of study. Okay, and that includes safety data. And then it goes into something that's called like an optional, gives the parents the informed consent, and then you can have an optional um, status. And then, you know, years later is when it, the ACIP would usually review it a couple of times, and then it would go into whether it's recommended versus required, okay? This is the first um, vaccine, if you will, because it's not a vaccine by definition, unless you go by the definition that they just changed a few weeks ago. It, it doesn't follow the same course of action at all. The um, animal studies were, they, they basically fell apart. Um, they were, all the studies that I read with, with different animals showed at the ends and the results that if we do use this technology in humans, that it really needs to be extremely um, careful in, in their, um, in how you use it and how you actually follow the data. So, you know, we knew prior to release of these experimental vaccines that there was some problems already. And, and of course, just the technology alone makes me very nervous because one of my um, favorite studies in med school was genetics. And this is a genetic modifier potentially. So um, just by basic genetic knowledge, I was very uncomfortable with this vaccine. Now, let me be very clear. I'm a pediatrician, have been for 25 years, have vaccinated the vast majority of my patient population. Um, for years and years and years without incident, honestly, without incident, other than very minor issues. This vaccine just in the first few months has shown such a horrible adverse event record that I can't even wrap my brain around why more investigation into why this is still on the market does not exist. I was a pediatrician back in 1999 when rotavirus vaccine had come out and was recalled. And it was my job to walk around and pull all the rotavirus vaccine out of all the fridges back in 1999. And it was based on the fact that there were 15 incidences of intussusception, which is a telescoping of the gut in a nursery setting after rotavirus vaccination. Now, intussusception is a medical condition that is not necessarily deadly. It actually can be treated very successfully um, without too much harm to the child at all. So, and sometimes it resolves on its own. So, you know, I thought back in 1999 um, that the pharma companies were looking after us. We're really trying to protect our kids and really doing the right thing because that was my bias. My bias was I was in this situation where I had to go and pull a bunch of recalled vaccine because of a non-life-threatening, albeit it, it's a medical condition that is worrisome. And, you know, it took five more years for that vaccine to get back on the market because they had to reevaluate it, put it through studies again, and start over. Well, here we are, fast forward to 2020 and 2021, where we are using a vaccine that 
um, has already caused over a thousand cases, known cases of myocarditis and endocarditis and pericarditis in children. This is way above the threshold based on this ACIP data. They said that there should only be about nine cases. That was kind of an allowable number. And let me just kind of also point out that the swine flu was pulled off the market for 25 deaths. Now we are looking at something that is causing hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations, ER visits and medical visits for patients after the vaccine. This is not a benign issue. This is something that we really need to look at. And I just can't even begin to tell you how upset and, and um, frustrated I am that medical professionals are not taking this seriously enough, or if they are, our voices are being silenced. And that is very, very upsetting. And it's very dangerous to our patient population because that is what we first swore to is first do no harm. And if we start to see that something is causing harm, we are supposed to stop doing it. I meant to ask before we started on the subject of children. I mean, the argument usually for vaccinations is, but look how terrible the disease is. And so we just have to have a vaccination. What is the survival rate of children who contract COVID? The survival rate for anyone under the age of 50, actually, is 99.9 plus percent survivability. Now that is without early effective outpatient treatment. I want you to understand that. That is without early effective outpatient treatment. Here it is a year and a half later, and we still are not having discussions on how do you effectively treat outpatients. There are horror stories going on right now about people being rejected and bounced out of emergency rooms that are potentially in life-threatening situations. And we are hearing more and more about the horror stories of what is happening in the hospital systems themselves. This is something that is a real serious issue. We are doing our best, um, and, and I'm a pediatrician, so if this was affecting children at such a high rate, my office phone would be ringing off the wall and kids would be pouring in here. And that is not the case. You know, we are getting calls like, oh, I have COVID and I'm worried about my kid. Okay, well, what is your child's symptoms? Well, they don't really have anything yet. I mean, th that's a very common call that we get here in the office. And, you know, there are a few kids that will come in and honestly, you know, they'll say, oh, well, we had COVID a week ago. I said, okay, well, what happened? Well, my child had a runny nose and a little cough and it resolved in two or three days. Maybe they had fever for one day. It is a very mild illness in, in kids, especially if you are a forward thinker and you are following the um, recommendations about vitamins. I have almost all of my asthmatic patients, now this is pre-COVID, so any of my patients that have asthma or any other lung diseases, I really highly recommend that they are on a vitamin D supplement, no matter how much milk they drink or how much sun they are outside playing with. In, um, that is just something that I have always recommended because I saw studies way back in the early 2000s and late 90s that stated that the higher your vitamin D level, the less likely you were going to um, suffer from respiratory illness. So this was just a basic thing that I said, okay, well, if vitamin D levels are high, then your respiratory illnesses are low. It's a pretty simple concept. So every child that walks in the door that has any kind of respiratory illness, I recommend that the parent at least temporarily starts to supplement with vitamin D. So in my practice, um, I don't really have that big of a problem with that. 
you know, but that doesn't mean that in a global pandemic that I shouldn't see a huge uptick of respiratory diseases and illnesses, especially COVID-19 within my patient practice um, population. And I'm not seeing it. So, and I've been open every day since the beginning of the pandemic. So this, Sorry. <laughs> this, this is just something that I've been doing for 25 years. I'm not gonna stop doing it. And I'll tell you, you know, we haven't had any, as far as I know, any of my patient population hospitalized in pediatrics, none at all. Okay, I want to be sure one thing you were saying is 99.9% survival rate for people under the age of 50. Did you say even when they aren't taking these vitamin kind of things? Is that what you were saying? True. Even they yeah. weren't. Okay. And so, what, and so then the addition of what we have, uh, I've learned from several of the American frontline doctors, uh, the use of um, uh, hydroxychloroquine, inhaled budesonide, ivermectin. So those things used, especially early on, would even increase the odds of survival, of, correct? Correct. Absolutely. And in pediatrics, we use budesonide all the time. That is a, that's a mainstay of our practice for asthmatics. Yeah. So when, when that was brought up um, early last summer, a summer ago, not this past summer, but the summer before, you know, to me, I was like, this is a no brainer. Of course we use budesonide. Of course we use albuterol. What was very strange to me, however, is when I learned that hospitals, urgent care systems, and ambulance uh, corporations pulled all of their nebulizers off their units. That actually shocked me because you would have a call for a patient that's in respiratory distress and you're not giving them a life-saving treatment of albuterol and budesonide via nebulization. I, I just, I could not understand it. And they told me, well, it's because it spread COVID. And I said, well, show me the data. Yeah. And of course there is no data. So, so I've been using lots of nebulizers <laughs> and giving away nebulizers to my patient population, so adults and children. So um, maybe that's why my numbers are so low. Well, I want to just I want to wrap up on, on the uh, vaccine part and then turn to masks. But on the vaccines, uh, notion of a vaccine mandate for children. Their survivability of children, uh, obviously we're talking about without pre-existing conditions, uh, even you're saying people 50 years of age or younger, uh, without anything, is uh, any treatment, 99.9, .9, you've added things that are efficacious to try, uh, both the vitamin protocol you recommend, as well as available, uh, long available treatments like budesonide and, and hydroxychloroquine. So in that context of that kind of survivability rate, are you aware of any other circumstance in America that the recommendations been made from the medical authorities to create a vaccine for something that has that kind of survivability rate? No, ma'am. Not at all. Not Thank all. you. Okay. I, yeah, that, that, that is exactly the, this is what the point millions of Americans have arrived at is what are we doing? Now I want to turn and talk about masks and um, the, op, the, con, the uh, wearing of masks has become Sadly, a very political issue has been politicized where you have people who do support wearing mask wearing will say to others, well, you don't care about people except for yourselves. And people who don't care to wear masks are saying, you know, you're being you're being pushed around and you can't tell me what to do and all that. But on the science of masks and just the question of whether or not a mask of the kind commonly worn by people is sufficient or effective to prevent a virus like the coronavirus from passing through the mask. What is the truth about that? So, you know, it depends on what you read, right? Because in randomized controlled trials, now these are the actual gold standard trials. There are 14 trials at least from before COVID that showed very, very plainly 
that wearing a mask was basically ineffective, that washing hands as much as we do in our office, especially, um, it just washing your hands is more efficacious than wearing a mask. I mean, that is shown in multiple studies. So when you're looking at the size of the virus, you know, the virus is not looking for a little hole, you know, to go through your mask and infect you. That's not how this all works. You know, a, vi a, a mask, especially the fashionable ones, you know, that people are wearing, those are not effective at all. Not at all. I mean, Michael Jackson made wearing a mask a fashion statement back in 2008, <laughs> 2009. I mean, honestly, this is what we've come to. So we are now just virtue singling wearing these wonderful masks that really don't do anything. And it, it on top of that, it does so much more harm. Because if you look at people the way, if, if you just stand back and observe um, the way people treat each other when they're wearing a mask versus when they're not wearing a mask, the difference is very stark. It's very astonishing. And I bet a lot of people just never sat around and thought about it. Like sit in a park and just watch. And you can see the, the very blatant difference between the way strangers interact with masks versus not wearing masks. So this is and this is something that children will pick up on very quickly, you know. And this is one of the things that I cannot stand about the fact that we want to muzzle our children because children respond to the human face, especially very young children. This is where they learn empathy. This is where they learn compassion. This is where they learn speech patterns. It is extremely important for a child to see a human face. And now we have children that were born in the year 2020 who are significantly developmentally and emotionally uh, behind because all they saw for a year are people behind masks. And my prediction is something that I hold true to this. I have stated a year ago, I made this statement a year ago, that if we keep children in masks, that in the next two to five years, we are going to have a very severe psychological um, just increase in our kids. We're gonna have emotional delay, psychological delay, physiologic delay, speech delay, and overall global developmental delay. And so this is going to be a huge burden on our society in the next three to five years. And, and this is not even talking about the whole social content of how children interact with adults and how they interact with each other. This is, this is a very serious problem. This is something that we've, re well, I've recognized from the beginning. I just didn't understand this whole idea of why would we mask a child when we know that children are buffers. More than 50% of kids are already immune to coronavirus. That is why it's not spreading among kids like crazy. That is why they're not dying from coronavirus. I mean, it, our numbers are showing that there's a few hundred kids that have died of coronavirus per se with COVID-19, right? But when you analyze that data, which it was analyzed by Johns Hopkins, by the way, that more than two thirds of those kids had very severe underlying conditions such as leukemia, that's cancer. So when you're looking at the data, let's look at the data in a real way. Because when we are looking at, you know, we have kids, we had more kids that passed away from influenza in the year 2018 than we have of kids that have died from COVID-19. I wanna make that clear, that's on the CDC website, go look it up, it's there. Okay, that's, I mean, you're really getting to the heart of what I wanted to talk about, because on this show, I've talked quite a bit, I, you know, my, my show is 
all about saving America, all about the idea of preserving the concept of the Constitution and liber limited government and the right of people to live in freedom. And COVID has been, I mean, it's actually been cited by uh, international uh, organizations like World Economic Forum and others as the great excuse, the, the great kickoff to allow us to, uh, to control, to essentially develop more of a global uh, society, a global governance. Uh, it was the, the Great Reset said, basically the author said, COVID is our key. It's, it's our excuse. And so it looks to me, it sounds to me, and this is not a medical question, so if you don't want to go there, it's fine, but COVID is being used by people who already want to have a more government-controlled society, want to have less freedom available to people, want to have a, a, it's not just simply make rules about COVID and wearing a mask or being socially distanced, getting a vaccine. It's, it's just, it, it's beginning to spread fear in society uh, that allows people who always wanted to be tyrants, always wanted to be in control, to take charge. And so they, they make policy rooted in fear. I don't know if you want to address that at all, but do you see, at least this me may be willing to address, do you think that there is a unhealthy level of fear in our society about the effects of COVID based on the real numbers with respect to uh, how, how how deathly, how deadly it is, uh, how likely you are to survive. Is, is there an unhealthy level of fear in our society? Absolutely, because I can tell you that the people that are wearing masks honestly do not understand the concept that it is analogous to trying to keep mosquitoes out of your yard by putting up a chain link fence. It's just ineffective. It also doesn't address the fact that people do not understand that coronavirus is the common cold. This one, we know that there's a gain of function with it. it. It has been proven over and over again. So this common cold virus has been manufactured to the point where it's causing very serious medical problems. And here we are a year and a half later, and the only option is vaccination. Why? Why are we ignoring a medica two medications? We can even skip the medication part. We can skip the hydroxychloroquine and the ivermectin for just a moment. Why are we not promoting good health, good hygiene? Why are we not promoting the fact that if you go outside and get away from the video games, you have a, a great chance of getting some vitamin D, which will boost your immune system against this? Why are we ignoring natural immunity? Why are we not um, using the fact that we have tests for long-term T-cell immunity that are readily available now in the market to prove that you are not a danger to anyone at your workplace. And why, if if the vaccine worked so well, let's just kind of use common sense here for just a second, which I know that's a real far reach Rare. sometimes. When we, when we vaccinate, okay, just let's just look at it as, as a big picture for just a minute here. When we vaccinate for a disease process, the understanding is as you vaccinate and the numbers go high, the actual disease process drops. What we are seeing as we vaccinate more and more people for COVID, our numbers are greater than they were last year when we didn't have a vaccine, okay? So, so that argument where you vaccinate something to make something go away is, is invalid. It's not there. I mean, when you're looking at different vaccines, we always look at it, you know, from the standpoint of, of the endpoint, you, the reason why you are vaccinating is to prevent the transmittability of the disease. And it has been 
talked about by Dr. Fauci multiple times about how this vaccine does not actually stop the transmission of the virus. So what is the point of actually doing it? It doesn't prevent the disease and it doesn't prevent the transmission. And we know this because if we're honest and if we really talk to people on the ground, boots on the ground that don't have a bias, that look at it as a scientist and say, you know, who is really getting sick now? Who, what is going on? Well, I could tell you that I know multiple ER doctors that are willing to come front, come forth and tell you that some, that a lot of the people that are in the hospital right now are either fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated, or suffering from vaccine adverse events. And this is a sad situation because, you know, what the media puts forth and what a lot of these large corporations are putting forth is that this is a disease of the unvaxxed. And that's an untrue statement. Very untrue. That's a great closing point for us to make. That is a big slogan. I hear from my liberal friends at this point is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That is incorrect, you're saying. Absolutely. Wow. We have so many other ways we can go. I'm sadly, I'm kind of out of time at my end, but um, this was so helpful and so enlightening. And I hope we can do this again sometime soon. I want to talk about uh, can't get in their table. Another thing Dr. Fauci said recently as well, getting vaccinated has the benefit of preventing the virus from mutating. I'll just ask you, is, is that right? Is that true? Well, well, if that's the case, again, how is the Delta virus 99% of our variant right now? Think about it. This, First of all, variants don't become 99%, period. You, you, you see variants all the time. And when a virus mutates, it mutates to survive. It mutates to be more spreadable, but less deadly. This is, it's common sense. This is what happens. This is, has always been true because think about it. If a virus kills every person that it, that it infects, the virus dies with you. It's, it's gone, right? It, this would have been a non-topic a long time ago. The entire country of China should have been wiped out and they weren't. Why? Because there's long-term durable natural immunity from SARS-CoV-1. This is not hard. This is not brain you know, surgery. This is real simple. The entire country would have been wiped out and they weren't. Just that point alone should make Americans open their eyes. And I tell people this all the time that use that argument against me. I, I'm like, China, still still there. They should have been wiped out. Dr. Angelina Frella, you are so fun to talk to. I know you're busy. I thank you so much for taking time and joining me today. And I hope you come on with me again sometime. I would love that. That would be awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay, folks, we're almost out of time, but I have to tell you one more time, someone is coming up. You know, at the close of my show, we have this great uh, line, tagline that says, you know, truth about America. That's the point of my show. I want to talk truth about America. I am never saying America is perfect. I'm not saying every, you know, every bit of American history is perfect. No one is saying America is perfect, but it is the most extraordinary, profoundly significant country in world history because it was founded on ideas that are bigger than one prevailing army killing another prevailing army or one set of dictators booting out another set of dictators. Instead, it was founded on these profoundly significant, important ideas that come from the scriptures, that come from the uh, just the um, thought of the ages about the idea that individual man has the right to live in freedom. God-given right to live in freedom, to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and a whole lot of other rights. That is the idea of America, and because it was rooted in freedom, the entire structure of government is designed to hold on to that freedom. The government's there to protect your freedoms, not to control your life. 
Here we sit in 2021. We're looking at the question as we look at American politics, whether or not we're going to have America the free as we have been since the founding, not perfect and had to make adjustments and changes along the way, but not perfect, but the most uh, noble ideas forming the country, the most noble creation of ideas in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the most noble society built out of those. And again, those ideas came from the scriptures, the idea of you have rights because God gave them to you. That's the idea of America. So you have America the free that has made America the prosperous, the safe, the stable, the enlightened, the most productive, the most uh, country that has the most inventions. Those ideas made the America that there is. That's the America path we could continue on. Or, as we're facing today in America, you can have America, the Marxist, communist, socialist, government-controlled society, where your freedom is gone. That's where we are. It's as stark as that. So in my show, every day, we do whatever topics we have, and on the topics I'm having uh, us talk about at our summit, it's all rooted in the idea we have to hold on to America the free. And we are in a battle right now, an internal battle. We have a portion of America, the people in charge in government on one side of the aisle, that are and, and in cahoots with the left-wing media, with punditry world, with academia, trying to convince America, you're better off if you surrender your freedom. Let us control your life. Let us take all the money we want to take from you. Let us redistribute wealth. Let us take your health care freedom. Let us take your personal freedom. We'll make everything better. That's the argument of the Marxist left, and that's where we are. So now I want to tell you very quickly about this summit. If you haven't bought tickets, there are still tickets left. There's still time to do it. Matt the Wonderful has a flyer to show you. And this flyer is, these are our speakers. I went over them yesterday. I can't do it again today. But we are hitting on China and its invasion of America, Marxism uh, in the American government. We're hitting on border security. We're hitting on election integrity. We're hitting on what's happened at the United, in the United Kingdom and Western Europe as they have surrendered their freedom. We're hitting on the most important freedom-related issues. And now Matt's going to show you the other uh, slide, which is how you can get tickets. And you still can do this. You see the bottom of the screen, events.americacanbetalk.org. Go there. Click on get tickets or whatever. It's, click on that flyer. Click on get tickets. You can still buy tickets. It's this coming Saturday, September 18th here in Dallas. It's a Saturday all-day summit. I mean, just a stellar lineup of speakers. Also, for sponsors, you, you can come to our Friday evening VIP reception. We're going to have a great weekend. All we're missing is you. Still can buy tickets. I hope you come and join us for my second annual America Can We Talk Women for Freedom Summit here in Dallas. You'll love it. I close out the show every day by telling you why the stories I talked about today matter to you. So we talked about, the only one I did a slide on is the Newsom recall vote. Viral CNN video captures real-time reduction of Larry Elder vote total by over 350,000. Exactly the same thing that happened in 2018 election results in Kentucky in the governor's race. And that was I, the governor who, the candidate who lost was the Republican, Matt Bevin. The guy who won was Andy Bashar or Besher, I would say his name, Bashar. Uh, the Democrat. And that was a that was a manipulation you could watch on screen. No California official answers from multiple reports or reports of false already voted records. People going in to vote. And they're like, oh, it shows here you already voted. A huge late surge of Newsom's popularity in California. 
inexplicable why nothing good happened except the Democrats got out their uh, forces and maybe they inspired a few non-political types to get to the voting polls. But anyway, this is the danger flowing from loss of confidence in election integrity. The relentless left-right spinning of the meaning of results is rendered absolutely meaningless yet dangerously manipulative if election results are not honest. Did Newsom really win going away? Did he really win 67% of the vote? Are his left-wing policies really surging in popularity? Millions of Americans have serious doubts. One last thing for today. If you have not joined America Can We Talk, just tomorrow's show makes it worth it to you. You can join America Can We Talk and tune in to our Thursday members-only show tomorrow. We have Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer joining us. He is the gentleman who is a Space Force, U.S. Space Force commander. He wrote a book about Marxism having invaded America's military. He spoke publicly about it, and he's lost. He's actually out of the service. He's lost his command. He is out of the U.S. military now, out of the Air Force. No Air Force pension available, but he bravely spoke up to say, America's military is being taken over by Marxist ideology. Brilliant book, brilliant guy. He's joining us tomorrow on America Can We Talk on our Thursday members only show. Very easy to join. Go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. And on that homepage, right across the top, it says members. You click on members. Up pops the word join. You click join, and you can become a member instantly. It takes no time. You choose. Uh, it's $50 a year. It's practically free. $50 a year. Tomorrow's show is worth $50 just to watch this Matthew Lohmeyer interview. So I urge you to join America Can We Talk. This is a listener-supported show, and you'll notice we do not have commercials interrupting the show. I have listeners like you who love the truth about America you hear, and you decide to join. I would so appreciate your decision to join. Join America Can We Talk. Do it today. Tune in live tomorrow to the, the Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer interview. I'm Debbie George Jadis. This is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can